Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to a podcast from The Pool. Hi, I'm Viv Groskop, your pool agony aunt, and this is Waving Not Drowning, where I'll discuss how to combat your problems and solve your emotional issues. In this week's Dear Viv, a husband who's a big spender, dealing with big life decisions while you're still grieving, getting stuck in a bad drinking habit and worrying about the kid next door. Our first question this week. Dear Viv, my husband and I have completely different approaches when it comes to money. He's far more gung-ho than I am, whereas I have always been super cautious. He spends, I save. Now he's talking about remortgaging our house to build an extension. And especially considering Brexit, I'm worried that we're going to overstretch ourselves. He's adamant we do this, and I can't seem to talk him out of it. But I'm worried that we'll have a financial noose around our necks for years to come. How can I make him see sense? Oh, you have mentioned the B word. I wondered how long it would take for Brexit to crop up in the Dear Viv letters. But beware red herrings. Yes, things are a bit up in the air at the moment. And yes, a lot of people are delaying financial decisions. But in reality, many things are often uncertain. And the only certainty in life is that there are no certainties. I'm more interested in the problem you pinpoint, which has nothing to do with Brexit. My husband and I have completely different approaches when it comes to money. With the question you're asking here, you've fallen straight into the trap of one of us has to be right and the other has to be wrong. Dear Viv, how can I make him realise that he's wrong and I'm right? He, of course, has also fallen into the trap and is busily remortgaging the house without talking to you about how uncomfortable this makes you feel. The important thing to note here is that neither of you is wrong and neither is right. What matters is that you find a compromise that you can both live with, a solution that makes him feel confident about the investment he's making and that makes you feel relaxed about the risk. There will be times when one of you needs to compromise more than the other, of course. So, for example, once you've talked about this, he might be able to persuade you that this decision is fairly sound and the risk of borrowing to get the extension is outweighed by the potential benefits. On the other hand, if you really do feel strongly about this, perhaps you can persuade him that this isn't a good time and that he'd be better off waiting. 
The good news is you you have the perfect partnership. One of you is cautious, the other is not. That's a great position to be in. As long as you listen to each other, you should make decisions which are the perfect blend of risk and investment. That is only a theory, though. In reality, it matters how good you are at talking to each other. You say in your letter that your husband is only talking about this, and yet the way you write about it, you make it sound as if it's an inevitability. It's like you're panicking that you won't be involved in the decision. Calm down and keep talking. You still have plenty of time to make a decision that has really been made by the two of you together and that you both feel comfortable with. Good luck. Our next question this week. Dear Viv, My sister suffered and died from a brain tumour in March 2014 after a 15-month illness. I left my then job a year later, even though I loved it and the other people I worked with. I was stressed and exhausted, and my sister's death brought things into perspective. However, when I left that job, my father was taken ill, went into hospital while I was on holiday, and never recovered. He died in July 2015. I then got work on a part-time six-month contract, which came to an end in March 2016. I was a bit relieved as I wanted to take some time out and have a bit of space to take stock. However, it's now a few months later and to be frank, I still don't know what to do with my life. My time has been spent going to the gym, doing a bit of voluntary work at an art gallery and helping my mother with the probate, but I'm no clearer about what it is I want to do with my life. I'm in my very late 40s and seriously don't think I can start from scratch with work as I have a mortgage and commitments. To be completely frank, I don't actually want to go back to work. The longer I'm away from office life, the more insecure I feel about work and my abilities. My head feels fuzzy and frankly, if I could go to bed for a week, I would. I saw a bereavement counsellor just after my father died. It was to talk about my sister. But by the time I got an appointment, my father had died too. It was a muddled time for me emotionally and I'm not sure I got the most out of the sessions I had. My partner is being very patient with me. He's lovely, but I need to earn some money. I'm not sleeping as I wake up in a panic about things. And the more I think about it, the more confused I get. My money is dwindling and I feel like I've wasted this precious time off. Is there any advice you can give? Oh, heavens. God bless you. Wow. What a difficult time you have been through. You say, frankly, if I could go to bed for a week, I would. I am very tempted to tell you just to go to bed for a week. From your letter, it seems to me that you have all the symptoms of depression. And very often what depressed people need is not to pull themselves together and get over it. That is ludicrous. But to actually go to bed until they feel better. I can see that you're frightened to let yourself fall apart in case you can't put yourself back together again. But you need to give yourself a break and just let go completely before you can think about doing anything sensible to move on in life. I know work is your primary concern here, but let's look at what's going on. You've had two major bereavements whilst coping with a very stressful and unsettling time at work. Your life has been full of unpredictabilities and events which you could not possibly control or influence. This would be enough to make anyone very stressed and depressed, and I must say that I'm extremely impressed and encouraged by how brilliantly you've coped with it all. 
You have known yourself well enough and cared enough about yourself to do things like go to the gym and ask your GP for bereavement counselling. This is the part of you that you need to keep alive and remember the part of you who is really good at looking out for yourself. Please don't think about job opportunities now and this idea of wasted time. None of this is wasted time. It's all part of the grieving process. It's all part of your life changing. And your life can't help but change since you've lost your father and your sister. So stop giving yourself a hard time. Give yourself the chance to take some time out. And yes, stay in bed for a week if you want to. Make a list of all the things you can do to look after yourself, from another go at bereavement counselling to the holiday you'd most love to go on. From everything you've written here, I trust and believe in your ability to create a happy and healthy life for yourself once you've moved on from this sad time. Now you just need to trust yourself. Our next question. Dear Viv... I am stuck in a terrible pattern of drinking far too much when I go out. I decided a while ago my nightly glasses of wine were getting too much and so I cut them out and don't drink during the week anymore. Cutting out some weekends was reassuringly easy too. But when I do drink, I can't seem to stop myself getting that bit too drunk. Despite all my best intentions, another glass always feels like a good idea. And before I know it, I'm saying or doing something embarrassing. And even if I don't, I seem to waste half the weekend in bed. I'm 25 and don't have any children to look after. In some ways, I'm normal amongst my group of friends for going too far on a big night out. But it doesn't make me happy. I always feel awful the next day. It's also really unfair on my boyfriend, who likes to drink too, but never seems to take it too far and ends up having to look after me. We've spoken about it. He's very understanding and happy for me not to drink, but it would be nice for both of us to be able to find somewhere in the middle. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm not drinking to be confident. I'm always with good friends and having a good time. I just can't seem to make good decisions about alcohol once I've had some. I know you've written a bit about this in the past, but I wondered if you had any tips about how you worked this out for yourself in the early stages of making a change. Oh, I love this letter. Thank you. Uh, As you mentioned, I have written about this myself before and it takes one to know one. And I see in you what I've seen in myself, uh, discomfort around drink. The best thing about your letter is that you acknowledge that there is a problem here. I'm being careful how I phrase that. It's not exactly, I think, that you personally have a problem. It's that you are what I would call, and I would say it of myself too, a problem drinker. Like I say, it's okay, don't worry, because I'm that thing too. To my mind, that phrase just means that you're not comfortable around your own drinking and you need to sort that out. But the first step in overcoming that is realising that that's who you are. One of the things I think we all overlook about drinking, and it's something that's taken me years to learn, is that it is an intensely personal process. I know people who can very occasionally drink two or even three bottles of wine, and it's not a problem for them at all. I know other people who drink just one or two small glasses a night and are verging on alcoholism. We rarely acknowledge the fact that alcohol affects us all differently. We have different tolerance levels, different levels of resilience and stamina, different abilities to handle alcohol according to our moods and emotions. The most important thing is that we should all be in control of our alcohol consumption so that it is not in charge of us. 
And it sounds at the moment that with you, it has a tendency to go the other way around. Do not put the alcohol in control. Alcohol does not have your best interests at heart. I think you would benefit from a series of controlled experiments. How about you resolve in advance to only drink certain drinks in certain amounts in certain situations? So say you're out with your boyfriend, you'll have one or two drinks. That's it. You say, I just don't know what's wrong with me. And I think there is nothing wrong with you. You're just drinking in a way that is not suitable for you personally and is making you unhappy. And you just need to change that. It really doesn't matter what other people are doing. They might be able to have four or five cocktails, not get that drunk and wake up with no hangover. Good for them. They are not you. The only thing you need to do is find out what your ideal tolerance is and stick to it. As you know, because I have written about it and I've had issues with alcohol in the past, um, I am really cautious around drinking. I don't want to end up in AA, so I'm careful that I don't drink regularly and I really monitor my drinking when I do drink. That's not to say that I'm teetotal. I'm not. But I look back on my own drinking in my 20s and I'm horrified. I was very close to alcoholism because I measured my consumption against that of people who could handle drink a lot better than I could. The other good news I can report is that the less you drink, the less you want to drink and the better use you become to handling other people when you're not drinking. It's sad but true to say that it really does not help to talk to other people about what you're doing a lot of the time. It's better to pretend that you're drinking. Drink Bex Blue, no alcohol beer. Pretend fizzy water is gin and tonic. Be the one who buys the rounds so that you can buy yourself a soft drink. Tell people I'll have a proper drink the next round if they hassle you. And they will hassle you because there's nothing people like more than to persuade someone who says they do not want to drink to have a drink. Be aware of all this and head it all off at the pass by knowing what you're going to do when that happens. My other top tip, drink Virgin Mary's or drink something very expensive and just have one. The last thing I want to say is important, but it's not really about drinking. I wonder why you're not good at keeping your promises to yourself. You might want to think about that. Keeping your own promises is a form of self-esteem that you think you're worth bothering with and you don't want to let yourself down. Practicing keeping your promises to yourself is an art. The more you do it, the easier it gets and you'll see your self-esteem grow. Good luck and let me know how you get on. Our last question this week. Dear Viv, I'm really worried about our neighbour's child. We moved into our new house three weeks ago and have heard arguing every night so far. They have a five-year-old boy and I can't tell if he's awake at night, but he must be able to hear his parents shouting and slamming doors. It can't be good for him. What can I do? Well, this has got to be an easy question to answer, or is it? In theory, this is clear cut. If you think there's genuine and actual danger for this child, you must contact the police or social services. But you must be convinced that this danger is real and that you are not over-dramatising the situation. So in reality, this question is impossible for me to answer because I think if you were truly genuinely worried, you would not have written in, you would have already made the call. But there's a question in your mind, isn't there? Maybe the child is not really in trouble. Maybe the parents are just going through a tough time. Maybe interfering will make things worse. Maybe, maybe, maybe. 
The fact is, only you can know what you have heard and only you can know how you feel about it. Can you live with your conscience if this child comes to harm and you did nothing? Can you live with yourself if you embarrass a family and cause them difficulties with the authorities when they're just going through a rough patch in their marriage? Is it worth taking that risk to protect a child? These are the questions to ask yourself. Meanwhile, I would suggest do not talk to other people about this. This is a private matter for this family, whatever is going on. If you talk to other people, they'll love giving their two pennyworth and saying what they would do if they were in your situation. They are not in your situation. These are your neighbours and only you can know how to live with yourself. If it helps, I think either reaction is valid. Let it be and wait for it to sort itself out, knowing you can always call for help if something changes, or make a phone call just to be sure these things can be done anonymously. You need to make a decision. That's all for today. If you have a problem you'd like to submit, please send your email to dearviv at thepoolltd.com or tweet us at thepooluk. Thanks for listening. Join us again soon and sign in to thepool.com where you can get more content specifically made by us for women like you. We hope we see you there. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.